0: Hello and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris.
1: And I'm Brittany.
0: And this week we're continuing our read-through of Mockingjay, reading Chapter 5. Brittany, can you let us know what happens in this chapter?
1: So Katniss's traumatized prep team work on her image, then cause a stir when they arrive at the lunchroom with Katniss. Katniss and Gale have some friction as they head down to Special Defense where Beatty shows them the special bows and arrows he made for them. Finally, once she's finished preparing, Katniss goes on set for the first Propo shoot. Though the visuals are striking, Katniss' delivery of the first slogan causes Haymitch to laughingly comment that this is how a revolution dies. Hey, Hamish, welcome back.
0: <laughs> mean, but accurate. <laughs> the Haymitch Abernathy story.
1: Granted, it's not all her fault. Look totally. at that slogan. What we will was get that? to the slogan. <laughs> okay, good.
0: <laughs> well, why don't we get into our analysis with our striking moments? So, what moments stood out to you during this read through?
1: Well, the great moment when Gail asks Katniss if she wants him to lie about his stance on things and her response being the moment that
0: i'm sure you enjoy
1: (laughs) no i want you to rethink it and come up with the right opinion
0: (laughs) the most you
1: line i've ever read yes exactly (laughs) so just had to bring that up because i have definitely thought that in my mind before and um Yes, I don't know if, if anyone has ever captured me quite as much as Katniss did in that moment. It's like, no, I don't want you to lie. I just don't want you to come to the correct opinion.
0: Which, for someone like me who avoids conflict,
1: <laughs>
0: becomes a moral conundrum.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, great. And, uh, yeah, I think shows us a bit of personality as well (laughs) Mm -hmm. where like i was talking about last week i think gail is a little bit more okay with the friction of people not agreeing uh on ideas moral stances and those things but canis isn't as okay with that yeah which i get because i'm like (laughs) you (laughs) canis Another thing that was really striking to me and that I've forgotten is that Octavia is in her early 20s. Mm. Katniss didn't realize that because of how much makeup and, you know, not just makeup, but all of the things. But, uh, yeah, that's really interesting to, like... Not that just because people are younger that excuses them from wrong action, but also knowing that compared to when we were in our early 20s, we do know a lot more. Uh, we are much more aware than we were then and it seems like potentially in the capital they have even less opportunity to have challenging professors to you know totally. have things where their ignorance is shown to them mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it I think it does, you know, not that I hate her prep team or anything, but it does make me have a little bit more compassion, I think, than I previously would have in the sphere of of her ignorance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also to think about, yeah, someone who, so in the early twenties now, having gone through what she's gone through, uh, torture and capture, and then still be expected to do their job and you know different things like I mean their job in quotes because it's not like she's getting paid for this work right. it's not like you her know.
0: duty if anything
1: yeah you know. and if if the revolution succeeds what job could she possibly have in the future and if it doesn't then she'll probably be killed you know yeah. and so it's yeah it's just it's very intense. And it's interesting for Katniss to see her in a slightly different light. Somebody that, you know, she spent some time around at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. It also makes me think about, like, the, the larger implications for the capital. Prep teams are a pretty prestigious element in mm-hmm. that they, they have these connections to the Hunger Games, which are so central to the capital's culture, that to have that position at such a young age, particularly when, as we talked about before, who knows how long it takes for people to retire if they're working the same job for decades. So for her to have that, it makes me, you know, think about, well, for one, is she actually quite skilled for her age? Is she bringing in some, Mm -hmm. you know, intense skill, even if it's in something that I know nothing about? But, you know, there's a reason why they're there in 13. But it also makes me wonder if prep teams generally, or if maybe Sina's prep team specifically, have a kind of mentorship element where Sina's obviously the head designer and the prep team has people uh, at kind of different levels in their professional career who can, you know, support one another and kind of build up a next generation or a next group of, of folks, kind of a, an apprentice system. Yeah, I just, I think that's an interesting element that I never really considered before.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I wonder if Cina would have wanted to try to slowly help them mm-hmm. understand their role in this really problematic aspect of this dictatorship and um, slowly bring them into the, the fold of revolution. I, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, at least Katniss recognizes that he was always patient and gentle with them, mm-hmm. uh, even though clearly he was much more aware and active in in challenging the system.
0: Yeah.
1: What about you? What are your striking moments?
0: One that definitely stood out to me was how Gail immediately goes for the bow with all of the features, where she was mentioning, "Oh, that thing would be way too heavy for me." Like, look at all of these extra things on it, and that's the first one that he picks up. And for me, I, I think it, it kind of came as a like a physical manifestation of Gale's willingness to use these weapons to kill that Katniss doesn't have the same way because she's killed people before and she understands the weight that comes with it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but it also kind of made me think a lot about how uh, young people and young men in particular in our society are often like so excited about the grandest most destructive things
1: uh that you know
0: can be like you look at like super soaker ads and it's always like get the biggest one you can with this much pressure and like like even the voice is like that you know it's like get it as tricked out as you possibly can with features that really aren't that useful because when i think about water gun fights i've been in the most dependable, useful water guns I've had are typically l- just little pistols that, like, can <laughs> hold a lot of water and fire a, b- a bunch, you know? like.
1: Is that, like, one of the most American things you've ever said? Maybe there's a lot of water guns in other countries, but it just true. feels so American. When I think about the water gun fights <laughs> I've been in.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's definitely something that this chapter has helped kind of... Or, has been on my mind a lot this chapter is the extent to which I have been ingratiated in weaponry my whole life mm-hmm. and how my relationship with that has changed over time but how you know I was so socialized into that and continue to be socialized into this culture of weapons and District 13 also has this or uh, we see so much of that in the special weapons kind of area but yeah just, just seeing that element of Gale like being like ooh a bow with All these, like, special features, whereas, you know, Katniss's bow is just, like, subtly vibrating and speaking to her. And, you know, it's it's a much less over-the-top kind of technological additions to it. Yeah. Another one I had was how people's circumstances are going to affect what pets they have and how they see different animals.
1: Mm.
0: How Octavia can think of mice as cute pets while for those in District 12, they're vermin because they destroy surplus and do all these other kinds of things, which is why rats have been so demonized throughout much of human history, because mm-hmm. they can be destructive if they're... carry
1: disease.
0: Exactly. Yeah. If they're in an environment that already ha- features some issues and things like that. why can't
1: they be both? Why can't they be so cute, but also potentially carry disease?
0: Yeah. <laughs> For sure, it's just <laughs>
1: that's how I view. Mine.
0: Yes, um, yeah, I just I think that it's a, an interesting element because the only pet that doesn't provide something in District Twelve is Buttercup, that we see, and Buttercup well, can sure fend Butter- for itself.
1: I'm sure Buttercup kills some of these. Sperm, I mean, that's also true. Like,
0: yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I just I think that's a, a good.
1: I mean, additional pets are privilege. Of, yeah.
0: Exactly. Or or they need to serve a specific function, mm-hmm. like their goat did, and, yeah. you know, things like that. But, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, a pack of wild dogs, that's scary, but a lot of people have dogs as pets.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and dogs as sheep herders. Dogs mm-hmm. as, like, they, they have served functions in society as well. Obviously, our society is very privileged <laughs> in the way that we think about pets.
1: Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Another one I had was a striking character moment for BD when he's talking about the hummingbird, which is a moment that I completely forgot about. Mm. Because BD, we see here being really excited by this question that he has of how you could trap or kill a hummingbird. It, I think, shows how he is passionate about problem solving, how it's something that excites him, but that he doesn't spend the time thinking about is this a problem worth solving?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I think that that is something that is fairly central to BD when we also see how he's done all these other kinds of inventions that have helped the capital, including their broadcast systems and things like that. So,
1: yeah. What What do you mean?
0: Like, when he was a victor, he continued to invent things because he thought it was interesting to make things more effective, more efficient.
1: Oh, interesting. I always assumed that he was forced to do these things because he was so intelligent. And he was a good inventor, just like other victors are forced to do things that they don't want to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's possible that's a case to some extent. But I personally read Beatty as being a somewhat, at least somewhat willing participant in that. In that at least he finds some kind of fulfillment out of that problem solving. Yeah, I don't know because it's something that he 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 seems to really enjoy that act. And at least thus far I haven't seen him say anything that's more ideological. And like it's great that he's now working for and clearly was working for, you know, throughout Catching Fire for the rebellion, but I still see him so defined by yeah, that that wanting to solve the problems that I just uh I'm interested in that.
1: Hmm. yeah well speaking of bd he i was going to bring him in as one of my from another point of view so why don't we go into that section yeah sounds good because for me i was reading him as super excited about innovation Mm -hmm. as as you are as well and just like these questions and being able to ask them and being excited to tell other people about them and things like that because he's just such a Ravenclaw Mm -hmm. excited boy about knowledge and tinkering and solving and all of that but I was thinking about him being more excited in this setting because He actually gets to use what he's passionate about and what he's skilled in for what he wants, Mm. which is the revolution and to overturn the capital instead of using his skills to help maintain the capital's hegemony over everything. (laughs) And so I was thinking of him being able to finally invent in a more enjoyable light-hearted way almost because there isn't the f- from his point of view there isn't the moral quandary of everything he's doing he's able to really take joy in it because not only is he good at it not only does he enjoy it but he also is able to use it to help equip the rebels so yeah i was just it was thinking about him even though he's in a wheelchair he is i'm sure still experiencing a lot of pain and he gets too tired to even be able to stand which is why he's in this wheelchair for particularly efficiency's sake obviously his rehabilitation isn't being prioritized over his dimensions and even in those circumstances, even though he's probably by himself the majority of his time for the past few months, but even in that circumstance, and also probably missing Wires yeah. and and wishing she were here, not just because he would have another person there and they can bounce ideas off of each other, they can like achieve more together, but also just because he would have wanted her to make it to 13 he would have wanted her to use her skills and her passions also to take down the capital instead of being forced to use it to maintain it but even with that sadness and maybe a bit of loneliness still feeling I was thinking of him still feeling more relief and happiness in just being able to do what he's good at what he loves for the cause he wants to use it for.
0: Yeah, I can also see him, especially having lost Wirus, being particularly excited about making things that could increase the survivability of his friends, Mm. at least close to, Uh, building a trident for Finnick, building a bow for Katniss. The the hummingbird thing that we mentioned, I read it this time also as he was thinking about, could I create these wings for Katniss? because then she would she be difficult to catch or
1: mm.
0: or to kill? So, yeah, I, I definitely can see that more positive outlook that he would have, being able to do things that he sees as much more productive.
1: Yeah. The other person that I was thinking about, their POV, is not actually in the chapter, but I was thinking about Effie. Mm. First of all, there's the what is she actually experiencing yeah. and where she is. But also I was thinking about as Fulvia and and Plutarch are talking about Katniss' look and changes to the outfit and all of these little details and the prep team are doing their work. I was just thinking about like, what would Effie be thinking about all of this if she were here? Because I think Fulvia's stepping a little bit into that role. Obviously, she's more producing than Effie ever did. Mm. But, you know, she is more of the point person that's saying what's happening, when it's happening, and things like that. And so, yeah, I was just kind of thinking about if Effie had been there, which obviously in the movie, they did put Effie there, which... You know, since Elizabeth Banks is so excellent as that be, was probably a great Totally choice. makes sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good, good adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I just kind of wonder, would she feel at all like she doesn't have as much of a role as she would have wanted to have? Um, would she have any conflicting feelings about what they're doing and that they're making these propos? She's from the Capitol and, and wasn't involved in all of their... Revolutionary acts yeah I was just thinking about her trying to encourage Katniss and things like that Katniss isn't getting that from her prep team because they're traumatized and even before a lot of the time they were just talking about themselves right and Plutarch isn't doing that Fulvia isn't doing that Hamish has never been encouraging and so I feel like maybe Effie would have even though she would have been oblivious sometimes and still doing her terrible statements and stuff like that. like I feel like she still would have been a support in a way mm-hmm. that Katniss isn't quite getting as much of. Because even when Effie was doing the coaching for how to walk and, and her posture and things like that, it seemed like... You know, she still was trying to be encouraging. She still is, um, d- to her understanding of the situation, she's on Katniss' side. Yeah. So, yeah, I was just kind of thinking about her and that, you know, maybe she would have wanted to be there because she cares about Katniss now um, and has some loyalty to her, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I can also imagine her, because she knows Katniss is not there, doing whatever she can for Peeta.
1: Mm.
0: Because it's the one tribute that she still has. Yeah. Um, Who also doesn't have anyone else, now that Hamish isn't there. Maybe his stylist still is.
1: Yeah, I, I honestly don't remember um, if Portia is still alive or not. Mm-hmm.
0: But, yeah, that's, I think, an interesting perspective, and, and definitely something that I'm keeping my eyes out for as we read, and then knowing that the prep team is replaced with Effie in the movie,
1: mm-hmm. and kind of
0: how that, that alters things. Um, definitely. So, yeah.
1: Who are your other point of views?
0: I want to talk about Octavia.
1: hmm
0: You kind of mentioned this before, but I was really struck by how Octavia is so clearly traumatized. Mm -hmm. So clearly afraid of everything. How Venia tells her, Katniss isn't going to hurt you. Katniss didn't know that we were here. Katniss is going to help you. How she is clearly just so afraid and how that is affecting every second of her life Mm
1: -hmm. at this
0: moment. And yet she's still expected to work. Mm Mm-hmm yeah putting trying to put myself in that mindset of having something so horrible happen to you and then having it in a way continued because that expectation of work is coming from the same group of people or the same faceless institutions that did that torture for you in the first place yeah And so it's not just, you're going to work on Katniss now, or it's not, you have the opportunity to work on Katniss Mm -hmm. now, it's, you're working on Katniss tomorrow, with an implied or else.
1: Well, that's the thing. Like, there there are no circumstances in which she would not do what she's told here in District 13.
0: Absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, we know that they, they still have some physical marks on them from the torture Mm -hmm. we know that yesterday they could barely walk
1: yep i know
0: like they're beyond the the emotional and mental trauma they certainly are still experiencing some physical trauma as well i'm guessing that they're probably suffering from some sort of malnutrition beyond just the hunger they've been experiencing Mm -hmm. um and then yeah the the pain the mental trauma, the fear of everything around them, um, it just must be really, really awful.
1: And, like, imagine that there's a mirror in front of Katniss Mm -hmm. as they're doing the makeup, the hair, or whatever, and any time they, like, glance over and see themselves, they would see the physical manifestation of some of the torture that they went through with the bruising and how much weight they've lost and things like that.
0: Yeah. And then for them to even go to lunch being something that
1: yeah.
0: the prep team is not actually told where to go or mm-hmm. given mm-hmm. any kind of assistance in that way. Um, the fear of yeah having to go into a public place, of people judging them, which clearly happens. Like it just I can imagine how hard the entire situation is. And one of the, one of the things I put in my notes was I wondered if it ever came to Octavia's mind in particular how Katniss also had to perform directly after she experienced trauma,
1: mm. um, especially
0: in the 74th games. And I honestly don't think that she necessarily would at this point. I think that perhaps in the future yeah. she could have gained that empathy, but at this point she just seems so overwhelmed by everything that's going on uh, and everything she's experienced that I think that she understandably is just trying to survive she's still in fight or flight mode doing whatever she can to yeah be be as safe as she possibly can which is in and of itself a pretty limited amount
1: yeah yeah absolutely I mean it's it's a terrible reason to create that empathy Mm -hmm. but it would be a very fascinating development if if it did affect the prep team in the future to realize how much getting hit hurts or things like that. Yeah. And that they'd watched for years all of these children that happening to them in the arena and worse. And yeah, I mean that that, that has that that should change everything yeah um and obviously the guilt should come in and you know all of that but yeah i, I agree probably especially coming from that they had not questioned these things previously um it, it's probably not where they're at now
0: yeah yeah, so uh, let's, let's continue on. <laughs> let's, go into let's go
1: into what I'm sure will be things. an
0: uplifting section. <laughs> our touch points when we connect what we're reading to things that we see in our own society. So what uplifting touch points do you have for us?
1: Well, one is Fulvia's reaction to the scar on Katniss's arm. Mm. And how she's just so revolted by it. And they have to come up with a bloody bandage to put over it and and just how disgustingly ableist that is, yeah that somebody's scars are looked at with such disdain, and it's just about the visual it has nothing to do with what happened has nothing to do with what the person even experiences when they see it themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just about that doesn't look pretty to me, you know. And it's just really terrible and disturbing that, yeah, in our society as well we care so much about how things look. Yeah. And that affects how comfortable we feel around people. That affects... Yeah, who can be on screen, who can't. That affects people's Mm self-esteem, people's comfortableness in their own body and their fear of judgment or stares or things like that. I had a friend in high school whose mother had been severely domestically abused Mm. to the point where in public she always had a face mask on because of the scarring and she felt the need to put a face mask on yeah you know and it's just like so frustrating and disturbing that we're all so shallow you know and um most of the world just doesn't want to see that Mm -hmm. and also doesn't want to deal with the reality of what it means you know and it's like sure fulvia you are part of the rebels in the capital but you still benefited from a system that caused this to happen you know yeah and so yes very frustrating i would be very frustrated if i was captain but also at that age i would probably just have been self-conscious you know Mm -hmm. and so yeah people are terrible yeah absolutely (laughs) continuing on with this to my next
0: point (laughs)
1: So, when, like you were talking about before, when they are talking about hummingbirds with Beatty, he comments to Katniss saying, You're not one to kill for sport. Uh-huh. And so I was thinking about killing for sport and how terrible that is, yeah. too. Recently, in the state of Wisconsin, As soon as the wolf population wasn't endangered and they were, they allowed the annual wolf hunts to happen because there was an estimated 1,100 wolves last year. So now we can go kill them. And so in February, they let this wolf hunt take place and it's just like all of these people want to be involved. But, like, they put a cap that only 300 wolves can be killed in this February wolf hunt. Oh,
0: I'm sure that that's what happened.
1: Well, actually, hunters killed 218, that we know of, mm-hmm. in less than three days. 218, it's just so baffling to me that the Natural Resources Board of Wisconsin is like, yeah, 300, we'll let you... Just hunt down these wolves that are doing nothing, minding their own business, living in their environment. Mm -hmm. You go into their homes, into their woods, chase them down, and kill them for fun. This is so twisted. Like, it's so disturbing. So, the fact that there is killing for sport. Like, killing for food, I understand, even if it makes me sad. Mm -hmm. Like... If that is your food source and you need that for your food source, fine. But like doing it for fun, it's the Hunger Games, but instead of people, it's animals. Yeah. It's just like, these aren't games. Like why, why does it bring you joy to terrorize and then kill an animal Mm -hmm. that's like not doing anything wrong to you? Yeah. Oh ho ho ho, it's protecting its babies. Like what what is happening? So anyways, <laughs> hunting for sport, bad. Yes. Another thing this is discuss- this is just the disgusting <laughs> <segment>. section,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> um also during their visit with Beatty, he asked how Finnick was doing, which I thought was really sweet. Mhm. And he said If you knew what he'd been through, it's a wonder that he's still alive. At all. Yeah. And this is a spoiler. So if you haven't read through chapter 12 of Mockingjay yet, you'll want to skip five minutes ahead. Knowing that he was commercially sexually exploited. I looked up some statistics and unsurprisingly suicide and suicidal ideation is much higher among sex workers and people who have been sex trafficked yeah there's a lot of different studies but there's also not a lot of studies because of the nature of this but um one i was looking at found that human trafficking survivors and and i think that this is probably more likened to that i mean one he was a minor Mm -hmm. two he's forced into it so just being a minor would qualify as sex trafficking and so human trafficking survivors in this one study had a rate at around 23 percent having had attempted suicide compared to three percent of the population with no prior domestic violence exposure wow and among homeless youth. Uh, Obviously, this is slightly different because it's homelessness uh, also there and whatever led them to be homeless. Uh, But among homeless youth who experienced sex trafficking, they reported suicidal ideation at almost four times the rate of other homeless youth that hadn't experienced sex trafficking. Mm. And so, yeah, I think that that line that's just very brief is... Important and um, definitely reflects the reality in our worlds that people who undergo and suffer under commercial sexual exploitation and all of the things that go with it, it takes such a toll. I mean that that's only on on the part of suicide, but yeah. also. PTSD, depression, anxiety, a a bunch of different symptoms. Substance abuse. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so thinking about Finnick and, yeah, I mean, he's survived this this long um, and that is a wonder. and, And now, I mean, his life has always been difficult and it's been more difficult in very specific ways since he was 14 and won the games, and now it's difficult in a very different way, Mm -hmm. but um, he's having it seems even more of a difficult time being able to manage.
0: Yeah. Yeah, which I think is is so powerful considering how we're introduced to Finnick,
1: Mm -hmm. where in Catching
0: Fire, he is... Confident, charming, flirtatious,
1: and then Katniss is thinking: It's hard to stay mad at someone who cries so much.
0: Yeah, exactly, because he not only has experienced that, but the impact of what happens with the escape and of not having any escape is just so overwhelming for him. Which yeah, it makes sense because he's he's experienced among the worst of it and uh, he knows what others might experience as well.
1: And the whole reason why he even was able to be coerced into this in the first place was to protect the people that he cares about. Mm -hmm. Mags is dead. If he has any family now that he's been a part of this plot, they're dead or tortured and dead. Annie, tortured, maybe dead. And part of the reasons he's suffered so much being sexually exploited for 10 years... Well, I guess they waited a couple years for him to age up a little bit. So, like, 8 years. I don't... How do you deal with that? When yeah. it's, like, the reason I was able to keep going before was to help protect these other people but now i just have the memories and the trauma and the people are dead or unreachable
0: yeah and the belief that he's at fault for part of that too
1: oh
0: yeah it's uh
1: (sighs) yeah poor finnick yes well, on a less terrible one, but still terrible, <laughs> Beauty Base Zero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just that name is amazing. That's yeah, very good. Yes, this is what I would look like if I got out of bed looking flawless. <laughs> <laughs> and it just reminds me so much of, you know, men being like, I want a woman who doesn't have to wear much makeup. Totally. But it's like they still want a gorgeous woman. So it's just like...
0: Well, yeah, no, the, what men perceive as a woman not wearing makeup or not wearing much makeup is often still wearing makeup.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it's like, I don't want them to wear too much makeup, but it's like... Well, yeah, then you're holding them at a different standard. You're saying they have to look like they're wearing makeup without wearing it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just like so preposterous and ridiculous. And that's what the Capitol's doing. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, that's the thing is like looking at Hollywood films and TV shows, Mm -hmm. anytime you see a woman wake up, she looks flawless. (laughs) Like hair's looking good. Yeah, that's not a non-made-up face, mm-hmm. you know. It, it reminds me of the first episode of Marvelous Miss Maisel.
1: I was just thinking about that too, yeah.
0: Where uh, she gets up like an hour before her husband so that she can go do her hair and makeup before he wakes up. Yeah. And it's just like... And
1: she like slides back into bed like, oh, I just woke up this exactly. way. Exactly.
0: <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, I mean, awful, but yes. (laughs) Such a
1: good commentary. Totally, yeah. Yeah, so that was my last one. What lighthearted whimsy do you have for me?
0: (laughs) Well, I also want to talk about Beauty Base Zero, so glad we covered that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, who doesn't want to talk about Beauty Base Zero?
0: I want to talk a little bit about Posey's comment to Octavia. Mm -hmm. where she says that she'd look pretty in any color. You know, that's what really affects Octavia the most of any of the interactions. And that moment, I feel, is a little tropey in this idea of oh, yeah, the, the, the innocent child comes up and, and makes mm. this comment that nobody else could make. And When innocent, children
1: are really cruel people.
0: I mean, I knew that's where you were thinking <laughs> Cru- cruel, about it. Cruel,
1: unfiltered people. I mean, sometimes they can be nice, but other times they can be really mean.
0: Yeah. But for me, it reminds me more of conversations that often culture warriors will have about the corruption of children and how children would almost using the idea of Posey's style of innocence as like a reason why you can't tell kids that gay people exist (laughs) because (laughs) because yeah it's like this idea that ruin
1: their innocence totally
0: right like literally i've read things where people have said like oh well if they see if little girls see that they could grow up to date other girls then why would they be interested in boys and it's like,
1: <laughs> Sounds like they're a boy all going to, to want to be like that
0: and I'm like first off they're five <laughs> like that's not a thing um but second off yeah I mean maybe men should be less awful but yeah it's just I think this very like
1: I mean, it's a very corrupt view of what is innocent and what is exactly, taboo and deviant and, you know, all of that crap.
0: Precisely. And it comes with this idea that I think itself becomes weaponized that children are these kinds of blank canvases that are completely ignorant to the world until they're introduced to things. When socialization happens all the time
1: Mm -hmm.
0: in so many different ways...
1: I mean, that's the only way they can learn language exactly. is through socialization.
0: Exactly. And selectively choosing what they can come into contact with is ultimately a political act. Because, mm-hmm. you know, even if you firmly believe that it's just they're too young for certain conversations or whatever, certain knowledge, then what you're saying is that they should maintain a youthful innocence, in quotation marks, that doesn't include the existence of other people in the world. Yeah. And it's just nonsense.
1: Well, so. I mean, it's, it's, it's telling them what is and isn't human. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're not actually telling them what's human, because what human is is incredibly diverse. But you're telling them only this is human, which is incorrect and also raises little bigots.
0: Yeah, and it's also a form of contr- social control because you are saying, I don't want you to make these choices, so I'm not even going to let you know that these choices exist. As if that stops people if that changes anyone. from feeling like they are not the gender they were assigned at birth, or yeah. that their attraction is different than the people, you know, than what's expected of them. Because, hey, that's existed forever, yeah. <laughs> even in Societies where it's extremely taboo. So, yeah, that, that's just something that kind of came to mind when I, I was reading that of how, you know, while I think it's a nice moment for Octavia, I, I also think that it, it's kind of adjacent to this more, much more problematic vision of children.
1: Yeah, I mean, some children are just nicer than others. Of course. Yeah. Like my middle sister was just a nicer child <laughs> than we were.
0: Yeah, I was great.
1: <laughs> exactly. Who, a person who led a, a small group I was a part of when I was in high school through my church. Uh, later, when she was married, had a had a kid, she was like, "Yeah, my son." The other day, there was somebody walking down the street who I'd never seen before, and he's like, "Look, it's a friend." And it's like, "Okay, some children are just nicer <laughs> than others." So, yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I have another example of. Our hypocrisy as a society which is when we see the many security checks that they have to go through to get to the
1: weapons. (laughs) Special weapons
0: or special projects or whatever it's called. Uh,
1: Great moment. Yeah.
0: Clearly these weapons are put aside because they're especially dangerous and they want to make sure that the only people who have access to them are people who should have access to them and uh, we agree with that as a society except for sometimes but most of the times yes because obviously the ability for people to go out and get automatic weapons is <laughs> absurd but just allowed here in the United States and yet the people who are like oh the second amendment S- lets me
1: semi semi-automatic maybe you can alter them so they're <laughs> automatic
0: <laughs> I mean no you can just go get the AK-47 like an automatic gun at a gun show like it's not difficult uh but that's the thing is, like, we, the people who are standing up for their rights to own guns for sport, I guess, as we've discussed, is awful. But no matter what the reason, are all saying, like, oh, I've got a constitutional right to have weaponry. And so many times it's, like, as if it's a way of being able to protect yourself from the government. <laughs> and uh, sorry, no matter who you are, I don't care what gun you have, if our government or any rival government wanted to attack you, even your assault weapon is not going to go against a tank, against a fighter jet, (laughs) against a drone, against a nuclear weapon. Like, all of those are things that people can't just own.
1: But if you storm the Capitol and you're white, they won't kill you. (laughs) You can have a gun, that's fine.
0: That's true. Yeah, I, I just like, the idea that there is a debate about whether gun control should exist at all, just is ridiculous because weapon control exists. (laughs) An individual cannot legally own a nuclear weapon. Once we all agree to that, (laughs) then any weapon control can exist legally. We just have to decide where we want that control to exist, to what extent (laughs) we want that to exist. And there's apparently just too many people who think that people should be able to own assault rifles that can kill hundreds of people in a small amount of time. And- have that with very little oversight.
1: Well, and they just misread the constitution because it says a well-trained militia. These people are not in a well-trained militia. Well, some of them are, and that's also terrifying, but most of them aren't in a well-trained militia.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that was there for very different historical circumstances because we didn't have a national army very easily because the states were still living completely separate from one another there wasn't a clear national identity and so being able to raise these kinds of militias was useful for defense or really for the increasing encroachment upon Native American lands
1: Mm -hmm. so
0: yeah it's uh yeah
1: I mean also any law that is
0: 250 years old
1: (laughs) well that was made well it was also saying that Black people can be enslaved and aren't people. Everything needs to be rewritten, mm-hmm. and we need to see what's logical
0: yeah, and there true has, now. there has been more time since that was written that women have not been able to vote
1: mm-hmm. than
0: that they have been able to vote.
1: Right.
0: Even within the almost 250 years since that was passed. Yep. So, yeah, that's, that's my rant on <laughs> guns. Uh, my final touchpoint is that slogan. Uh,
1: (laughs) Wait, can you read it?
0: People of Panem, we fight, we dare, we end our hunger for justice. Is (laughs) awful. It's very, very bad.
1: It's so painful.
0: (laughs) It doesn't make sense grammatically. Clearly they're trying to say that there's a connection with the Hunger Games because we have a hunger for justice and that's ending now, but, like, it's just... Well,
1: but also, like, they've been starving. Yeah. But, like... And you're being daring by fighting. Yeah, we fight
0: and we dare are both active, but then we end something which is not active. Like, it's just... (laughs) It's
1: just bad. It was... People wrote a lot of different things on the board and they were like, how do we combine these three favorites we have?
0: Totally, totally. And so this is just a a clear reminder of how the leaders, quote unquote, of revolutionary or activist circles or what have you are so out of touch. Um, (laughs) You know, it reminds me of like the middle class leaders of progressive activism in our society who are like, Yeah, they'll put on the Women's March, which is great. I went to the first Women's March. It was awesome.
1: Do you mean progressive or do you mean liberal?
0: Both, I think. Because I think there are still plenty of people who are like, yeah, I'm progressive. I mean, there's a
1: lot of people who think they're progressive and they're capitalists. Yeah. Uh, So they're not progressive.
0: (laughs) But even like just the idea that leadership so often comes through middle class attainment. Oh, I even like I'm a professor And that's how I have gotten to be a, you know, expert on the community that I'm advocating for, even if I'm part of that community, you know? But it's an expertise that comes through a very specific, like, respectability politics. And those people are so often elevated, um, in part because they have connections, in part because they got access to money and resources, and in part because they, yeah, are seen as respectable um, and therefore able to be put forward rather than the people who are really the heart of these kinds of movements, which are those who are most directly affected, those who are risking more, who don't have the resources to put out there to become a leader, but are still able to put the energy into those activities. So, yeah, it's just this slogan reminds me so much of the kinds of, like, newsletters that you'll see or performative organizing that can exist that uh is so far away from from the most effective and important kinds of activism you know it reminds me a lot of for example like act up in queer organizing in the 1980s and 90s who were just people coming together and they you know actually there still were some middle class folks but oftentimes they were separated with their more radical protests with the people who are doing things like the AIDS quilt, uh, which is much more about like, look, we're we're making we're sending a message, <laughs> and we can be interviewed on news stations every year when we do this, um, as you know, look at this wonderful thing that's happening to to shed light on this awful awful situation. Uh, whereas ACT UP was like throwing ashes on the White House lawn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: so. They, yeah. w-
1: they weren't quilting together. They were getting arrested, exactly, and then probably <laughs> abused. It's
0: not to say that both aren't important, but yeah. I just I think that a a, a repivoting of
1: let's not quilt who we focus that on. slogan.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: Let's have Katniss throw ashes in the Capitol's face.
0: Thank you. Yes, that's uh, the perfect way of putting it. <laughs>
1: Yes, and I love that she notes that they seem like they were really proud of it. They would be. <laughs> they would be, right? And it's like, Katniss, it's not your fault. Meryl Streep couldn't say that <laughs> and get us to be convinced. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Yes.
0: Well, we should head into our wonderments, the questions that we have from this chapter. What's on your mind?
1: So I'm wondering how much contact Plutarch and... The rebels in the capital had with district 13 mm. before getting there because they brought makeup they brought hair supplies they brought all of these things that clearly they don't have in district 13 mm-hmm. but they didn't bring coffee you know and so it's just like i'm very curious how much interaction they had because you know, hovercrafts are pretty big. They probably could have brought more things than they did. Like, they could have even brought vaccines. Potentially, some of them could have brought disease with them, mm-hmm. right? If District 13 has been isolated for 75 years. Totally. Yeah, so I'm just like wondering how much information was passed back and forth, how many questions were they able to ask? Did they think about bringing more things, but then they didn't because any stockpiling of materials, products could be one more clue that could get them found out before this breakout plan happens. And so, yeah, I'm just really wondering about how that all happened, especially how First Contact was made and Plutarch, <laughs> or, you know, if it wasn't Plutarch, who was it to? And, you know... I mean, well I mean probably was Plutarch made contact with District 13. I would imagine that would have made more sense because how would District 13 have known they could trust Plutarch? I I don't know, but I just I want to know how it all happened and how they even got to trust each other being as different as they are.
0: Well that's the thing is I I imagine it as there have been ongoing networks that have existed since in the, for the last 75 years that 13 hasn't been able to have a large amount of contact with other folks but that there has still been this underground network that has continued to be able to communicate in whatever various ways they're able to including with people in the capital uh, and that Plutarch eventually was able to gain the trust to enter in that entire network rather than just it being him and 13. I see there being a lot more of kind of ground operatives being a part of this for a long, a much longer time but maybe yeah. I guess I'm still thinking about activism. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I mean, I don't. I I would think that it probably. I, it would depend how long Plutarch has mm. been involved. Mm-hmm. If he is in his 50s and he's been involved since he was 20, then, you know, that's 30 years of building this relationship. But yeah, I just. Uh, I don't know. Was it Grampy Heavensby that was involved? Like, who knows? I mean, there was another Heavensby in mm-hmm. Songbirds and Snakes who I don't think... Would, I mean, who knows? People can change. People can... Maybe, yeah. maybe Tigress was involved. Who knows? But uh, I want to know. Totally. What about you? What's your wonderment?
0: I'm wondering what a souped-up bow does. Like, how <laughs> that works. How you can make a bow... Like a bow and arrow seems pretty straightforward. Like, how can you change what's going on in a with a bow and a string to make it stronger? Like, I, I get narratively why they have that happen because Katniss needs a, a special weapon, but I'm also just like, but how? But how? How is that? I thing?
1: mean, I think it's more in the. Arrows than it is the bow. I mean,
0: the arrows for sure have an element, but and
1: I think Gales had like some sort of scope on it so that he could aim better and farther. And all of them can shoot farther than a general right, bow. But that's one Yeah, is, like, what else how? is there? Like, <laughs>
0: how does it shoot farther? And like, why does it need electricity to do that when it's a bow and arrow? Uh, and also, why does it matter that it won't work for anyone else? Like, who else is picking up bows and arrows? on a battlefield so they could use that to fight. I am. I I don't think that's true. (laughs)
1: That's true. If there's a battlefield, I am running the other direction, and I hate running.
0: If anything, I would say that with Gale being the only other person who knows how to use a bow and arrow well enough as a weapon, maybe the voice activation is a bad idea.
1: (laughs) Well, and I was also like, well, if all she has to do is say anything Mm -hmm. for it to reawaken, then how does her you know, telling it goodnight or whatever actually helped because then if she says anything else, it'll just reactivate. It should have a specific activation word.
0: Agreed, yeah. I just think generally there's like a kind of nod to like, ooh, cool weapon stuff going on here.
1: Okay, this is what happened. Because he could, he did. I mean, yes, that's the thing. (laughs) It wasn't necessary. (laughs) He was just excited.
0: Totally, yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He was just like, she saved us all, (laughs) so she's going to get a special bow she doesn't need.
0: (laughs) Well, we should head into our final section. This is our intentions.
1: I think my intention is to be critical of myself as well. The things that I'm finding disgusting about Beauty Base Zero, about... Covering Katniss's scar or her big prominent one on her arm. Mm -hmm. Like, those aren't just things I'm like, oh, that's disgusting intellectually, but that's like internalized in myself in a way that I'm not hypocritical in what I see and think. Obviously, I wouldn't, you know, be insensitive like (laughs) Olia is here. But even if I'm still having those thoughts is a problem right Mm -hmm. so yeah just trying to be more aware of that and train myself out of the skewed standards of beauty that we have in our society yeah what about you what's your intention
0: yeah i i was really affected by my reading through octavia's pov Hmm. So for me, I I want to really challenge myself to be very empathetic for my students because Hmm. I don't know what trauma they're facing. I don't know what circumstances they are. And as a professor, it is my job to demand work of them. But the way that I do that, um, particularly as other things come up, is something that uh, I have some control over. And so, yeah, I just want to kind of keep in mind that I cannot know everything they're they're experiencing and want to make sure that there is room for those who suffer through these kinds of circumstances or through any kinds of difficult circumstances to not have the further expectation of immediately coming back to study American history or whatever else it might be.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, I think that's going to wrap up our conversation. So, what's happening next time on The Hunger Games?
1: So, next week, we are going to be reading Chapter 6, where Katniss and friends go on a field trip.
0: Hooray!
1: No evil could befall them.
0: No. When I was in second grade, I went on a field trip to McDonald's and got locked to the walk-in freezer.
1: (laughs) That is just so you.
0: When I was in third grade... We were going to go on a field trip to the police station and earlier that day, for some reason I was playing with handcuffs and then I put handcuffs on and I couldn't get them off. So I had to walk into the police station for this field trip with handcuffs on and ask them to take them off for me.
1: What's wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) Some children are better than others.
0: When I was in second grade also, we went on a field trip to Bristol Farms and they gave each student a little California roll piece of sushi. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was super picky and I was like, I'm not going to like this. So I purposely dropped mine on the floor and I was like, oh, where's the trash can? I dropped mine so on the floor.
1: Rude. And then
0: they're all like, oh, here's another piece. And I was like,
1: <laughs> now I have to. This
0: is this. not what I wanted. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do they watch you eat it? I don't remember. Mm. You just remember you wasting food just that Katniss would have eaten.
0: Me wasting food.
1: So capital. Getting locked in handcuffs for fun, going to McDonald's, your whole field trip's montage right there was just, I am a capital boy.
0: (laughs) Essentially, yes. I mean, I grew up in a very affluent district, so yeah, this is true. (laughs) Alright, well I think that's going to do it for this episode. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description.
1: Another thing I wanna mention is that the designer of our logo, Kimberly at Lacelet, is doing another geeky guided creative retreat. And this time the theme is Middle Earth. So exploring Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit as creative prompts. It's gonna be awesome. I will be attending. I know a few of you joined me for the Harry Potter one that we did, which was also awesome. I may or may not have written a poem about capitalism based off of imagery from the Shrieking Shack. <laughs> so these are the types of amazing things you can do no matter what art form you use. So these are happening in September and you can find out more information at lacelit.com. Uh, I'll also have a link in the description. And if you use code GEEKOUT in all caps, you'll get 15% off. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to this.
0: Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek geek out. out!